0: Well, again, welcome, and as I said, my name is George Davis, and thanks for being a part of this service on Palm Sunday. Earlier this week, I I got this photo in a text message. Uh, This this is the address in Dallas, Texas, where I grew up. Now, I worded that very carefully because I I grew up here, but I did not grow up in that house. You see, in 2019, uh, my parents sold what had been our family home for more than 40 years. At this address in Dallas, but the new owners uh, tore that home down, and they have just completing completed putting this home up in its place. And I, I've got to be honest with you it, it's 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 a weird it's a weird feeling for me to really look at this picture because this this picture is a reminder of of the reality that you know what I can go back to my old neighborhood I can go back to where I grew up, but. Even if I go back, it will never quite be the same again. Have Have you ever had that kind of experience before? You know, one of those experiences where you want to go back to the way things used to be, but you can't. Uh, maybe you've had an experience where you'd say, you know what, I, I want to go back to the way things used to be in my workplace, but changes were made. I, I want to go back to the way things used to be in a particular relationship, in a friendship in my marriage, uh, in relating to my parents or relating to my kids, but that's just not happening. Maybe I wish I could go back to the way things used to be with my health, but the truth is I'm getting older. Even now, you may be dealing with the truth that, that some of the things are just going to be different as we come out of COVID, and, and we're not always going to go back to the way things used to be. So do you know, do you know that experience? You want to go back, but things just aren't the same. If you can relate to that experience at all, I think you can understand what we're going to see in our journey through the Old Testament this morning, the particular experience of the people of Israel after they come back from exile. Now this morning, as, as we prepare for Easter, we're really concluding our journey through the Old Testament that we begin at the beginning of the year. We started the year, we we began by looking at the promises made to Abraham, those great promises, right? Abraham, you're, I'm going to be with you. You're going to become a great nation, and I'm going to bless the world through you. And then we picked up the storyline as the people of Israel move into the land that God had promised, and they begin to settle down. and And of course, over time, they reach a point where they ask for a king. And we, we went through that season of, of united monarchy under the the major kings Saul David and Solomon, and we saw what that looked like and then of course, due to a variety of internal factors, that kingdom divided in two, and and you end up with what's known as the northern kingdom or Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah, and we followed along some of the experiences that came through that time. As you read the historical material, you actually read of the exploits of kings in both of these countries, and and of course, we also saw prophets come onto the scene to remind the people of, of, of God's identity for them and what it meant to be In relationship with God, but but tragically, as you read these stories, uh, there's a lot of negativity here. I mean, particularly in the northern kingdom of Israel, you basically go from one disappointing king to the next, and over time you see the reality of idolatry and then injustice setting in in a variety of ways. The southern kingdom Judah is, is a little bit better. There are some good kings, and there are what appear to be seasons of repentance and renewal, yet the, the overall pattern, the overall trend line is downward in Judah, just as it is in Israel. Consequently, as, as a result of their disobedience, ultimately both kingdoms fall to foreign powers. In 722 BC, Israel falls to Assyria, In 586, roughly a century and a half later, Judah falls to Babylon. And when that happens, when Judah is conquered, when Jerusalem as a city is destroyed, the city of God, it ultimately means that people in this region are going to be taken into exile. And when it comes to the exile, as we've already seen, it's really a low point in Israel's history. And I think it's, it's an experience that had to generate a great number of questions, right? As so the people were taken into exile, what about God's promises? I thought we were the people of God. What about those great promises made to Abraham that we mentioned just a moment ago? Were they just empty promises? Well, even as all of this is taking place, even in the midst of this chaos, the, the prophet Jeremiah says, yes, we're going to experience God's judgment, but that's not the end of the story. He says, ultimately, after 70 years, we will will come back to our land after exile. The people will return. You know, that's that's exactly what happened. Over time, the the Babylonian Empire gave way to the next major empire, the Persian Empire. And beginning in the book of Ezra, we read this. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, right, the, the new major regime on the block. In the first year, of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. And so at the end of this exile period, it, it, it feels like things are now going to move in a positive direction, just like the, you know, just like the sun breaking through after a rainstorm. Hope begins to break through for the people. Because Cyrus allows these people to return to the land, he allows them to go back, to rebuild their communities, and to rebuild their temple. And this is exactly what is described in the opening chapters of the book of Ezra. Now, as you can imagine, I think that there was just a great amount of excitement, enthusiasm for those who returned. Right? We, we get to go back. We get to go back to our land. We get to go back to our history. We get to go back to the heritage that's so important to our past. And I think with that enthusiasm comes a great deal of optimism about the future. Interestingly, one of the leaders of Israel at this time is a guy named Zerubbabel. We'll come back to him in a moment. And he was, he was actually the grandson of Jehoiakim, who was one of the last kings of Judah. So even as the people are going back and Zerubbabel is part of the leadership, there there is perhaps this expectation that maybe the royal line will truly be restored. Maybe we will go back to our glory years. So much enthusiasm, so much optimism, so much hope. And not surprisingly, given this amount of enthusiasm, when they get back to their land, they get back to work. They get back to rebuilding their communities. They get back to rebuilding Jerusalem. And as they do this, they also begin to rebuild the foundations of the temple and, and rebuild the altar that was a part of temple sacrifice. They collect funds throughout their communities. Uh, they collect materials. They go as far away as Lebanon to get materials so that this building project can get underway. And after only two years of of being back in the land, the the foundations are being restored and the altar is is being rebuilt. So they have have an elaborate dedication ceremony. And we actually read about this in Ezra chapter 3 as we continue reading through Ezra. And here's what we read about that ceremony. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. So notice in, in this moment that, that really should be characterized by celebration, some of the people, of the people are actually weeping. So why was that? Well, there's certain clues here in the text, and and I think among other things, they were weeping because they were old enough to remember what the former temple used to be. They were old enough to remember things about their nation's past. And this was, I think, the first place where it begins to sink in. We've come back, we've come home, but you know what? Things aren't going to be the same. We have come back, we have come home, but this, this temple's never going to look like the prestigious building it's replacing. We've come back, we've come home to this place that has such rich history, but things just aren't going to be the same. Things aren't going to be the way they were. Interestingly, at this point in, uh, in recounting the history of Israel, Ezra then turns his focus to other complicating factors. He begins to point out that there was local opposition from the people who were already in this region, local opposition to rebuilding the temple. And, and he highlights this in detail. And the result is this: due to all of these factors, right? The, the enthusiasm, the hope, the optimism, they, they simply begin to drain away. Maybe you can think of it this way. Uh, Due due to the reality that things wouldn't be the same in the past and due to the reality that there was opposition in the present, the people just, they become disillusioned. They become disappointed. They become discouraged. And the the discouragement over time just leads to demotivation, right? They become discouraged, disillusioned, frustrated, and all of that leads to demotivation. Now, at at this point, we might want to criticize them, but before we do this, hasn't this happened to you before? I mean, haven't there been areas in your life, some season of your life, where where you became disappointed and discouraged, and, and because you became disappointed and discouraged, you just, you became demotivated? You just lost interest? I mean, maybe even over the last few months, you know, as we've been going through COVID, maybe at the start of online classes, you in your family, you know, you're excited. We're going to do this well. We've got all the supplies. We're going to we're going to do this really well. But just over time, it just really became discouraging, disappointing, and it, it, you just lost interest. You became demotivated. If that's happened to me, you, trust me, you're not alone. I've heard multiple stories multiple stories along that line, and, and in a similar way, maybe even over the last year, you know, with kind of the discouragement, the disappointment that, that has come with it, maybe you just even become de- demotivated in your relationship with God. What's the point? Why Why do I need to engage him and pursue this relationship. And so maybe you just kind of become demotivated when it comes to God, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to connecting with other followers of Christ. This, this is a pattern we can go through, right? You become discouraged and disillusioned and you just lose interest. In fact, I would suggest if you find yourself in a season at a point where you are really demotivated, you've lacked, you, you're lacking energy for what you're doing, I think it's possible to look back and say, well, what's What's the originating cause? What, what has been the source of disillusionment and discouragement that has now drained me of my motivation? So as a result, as a result of, of the discouragement, the disillusionment, the people become demotivated, and and the result is the, the temple building project is just put on hold. It comes to a halt. In fact, I, I would describe it this way. Over time... That partially rebuilt temple, it it just sits there. It sits there as a monument to lost hope. The weeks pass, the months pass, the years pass. In fact, 16 years pass by. And then something happens. What happens? Well, God does what he's often done in the past, He, he sends prophets. And for a brief period of time, a prophet by the name of Haggai appears on the scene. And Haggai, he challenges the people with this message. Why, why have you given up? I mean, why have you gone about with kind of building your own lives and doing your own thing while you've, you've left the temple, which represents God's presence, you've just let it sit there? Don't you realize that in doing this, you in essence have put your relationship with God on the back seat? You've, you've put it on the shelf. Don't you realize that for the last 16 years, in essence, what's happened is you've just been trying to do things on your own and it just hasn't worked out well? It's time to move forward, Haggai says. We can't be stuck in the past. It's time to finish what we have started. And with the encouragement of Haggai, the rebuilding work finally resumes. Now, the question is, so how exactly did Haggai's message move the people out of their lethargy? How did, it, how did it move them out of the status quo that it sunk in for 16 years? What exactly did he say to get them moving? Well, I think as you read Haggai's message, there, there are two kind of key points, two expectations that I want to highlight for you. And we see these in in the short book of Haggai in in chapter 2. And here's what we read kind of at the early part of Haggai chapter 2. Here's part of his message to the people. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Zodiac, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land," declares the Lord, "and work, for I am with you," declares the Lord Almighty. As you look at this, I think there are really two themes that uh, Haggai is, is highlighting for us, and and I think they they're they're kind of linked with the way he uses this interesting term now. First of all, he he acknowledges the pain and kind of the disappointment that's part of their past, right? He says, for those of you who remember what this is like, just, just look back for a moment. And how does this look to you now? And the truth is, he, he's telling them to just to look back and, and acknowledge that, yeah, you're right, this, this isn't like it used to be. This temple isn't as impressive as the one built by Solomon. One scholar has said this, like a good counselor, Haggai encourages the people to look back and identify the source of their disillusionment and the source of their despondency. But but notice, Haggai doesn't let them simply look back. Yeah, they need to look back and they need to be honest about what's happened and why they're here and why things are different, but it doesn't stop there. They're to look back, but they're also then to start moving. They're also to look to the future. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong. It's time to get to work. It's, it's, start to, it's time to start moving forward. So yes, we need to look back, but don't simply look back. We also need to get moving. We need to look to the future. We need to get back to work. We need to start rebuilding this temple again. And so ultimately, I think you can, you can summarize Haggai's message maybe this way. <laughs> we, we need to look back and lean forward. We need to look back and lean forward. First, he, he's saying, look, we, let's look back. Let's not pretend this stuff didn't happen. Don't pretend it's no big deal that things have changed. We need to look back, but don't get stuck there. Because the truth is, there there are all sorts of ways in which we can get stuck. I mean, when we find ourselves, right, in these situations where it's like, I want things to be like they were, but it's not going to happen. There are all sorts of ways we can get stuck in in wishing we could go back. I mean, when we're disillusioned, discouraged, demotivated, we we can get stuck in denial. We can get stuck in bitterness. We can get stuck in guilt. And Haggai says, look, you you need to look back, but look back and lean forward. Now, why should they do that? I mean, why should they kind of, why should they resume building the temple after all these years of status quo and stagnation? Why should they start moving again? Because remember what Haggai said, he said, you need to start moving because God says, I am with you. Now, when you think about it, this this is a promise that permeates the entirety of Scripture. I mean, as we've been going through the Old Testament, in different ways, we've seen this theme. God coming to Abraham and saying, you know what, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. God coming to Moses, and even in the midst of chaos, saying, I'm, I am with you. God coming to David, David, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to make your line an ongoing line. Someone will sit on your throne for eternity. I'm going to establish your kingdom. So Haggai taps into that promise that is so deeply rooted in the history of Israel and says, Let, let's, let's remember this promise. And, Let's get moving. Let's start this project over again. Let's get back to work. Yes, we, we look back, but we look back and we lean forward. We lean forward in hope. We, we lean forward in faith, and we're going to get moving again. Now, if, if you noticed uh, this message that I just read from Haggai, among other things, it's, it's specifically addressed to Zerubbabel. And I think that's not surprising. Because I, I think this is a message he particularly needed to hear. I mean, think about his situation for a moment. It, it appears that he's been a leader in this community throughout all of these years. I mean, he's, he's been a leader in this community throughout all of this season where they've just gotten stuck in stagnation and just stuck in the status quo. We, we don't know exactly how he responded to those circumstances. We don't have all the details. We don't know exactly to what extent, you know, kind of he fell in line with the other people who became disillusioned, or or we don't know if he was trying to move the people forward, but it just wasn't a message that was received. But whatever the case, I think Zerubbabel needs particularly to be encouraged. And so it's not surprising then when we come to another prophet from this time period, another prophet that worked along Haggai, Zechariah, that we kind of read this message to Zerubbabel. This is Zechariah chapter four. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Zerubbabel, you may have given up at this point. (laughs) Uh, Zerubbabel, at this point, you may be convinced that, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I've tried, it hasn't worked. Someone else needs to lead. But Zerubbabel, this, this, isn't, this isn't about you. This is about my faithfulness to my promises, God says. And, and my spirit is going to be at work. I will be with you. And interestingly, later in this same passage, we read this. Who dares, despise, who dares despise the day of the small things since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel Zerubbabel I know you, you may wonder what's the point right you know what it's never going to be like it used to be why should we get motivated about continuing this rebuilding project but Zerubbabel don't, don't despise small things don't presume that just because things are different, I can't be at work in this situation as well. So Zerubbabel, look back. You know, Let's understand how we got here, but, but lean forward. Let's lean forward. Zerubbabel, let's get moving. Let's, let's start the project over again because God says, I will be with you. And you know, that was God's counsel to Zerubbabel. And I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's his counsel to us right now, right? Right now, is we're kind of slowly beginning to come out of COVID. And, and it feels like maybe the sun is beginning to break through a little bit on some of the things we've experienced. As we begin to come out of COVID, I, I think it's appropriate just to look back and maybe be honest about the frustration, the disappointment, the loss of, of what we've experienced. But if we're going to do that, we can't get stuck there. We, we need to look back, but, but ultimately we need to lean forward. Look back and lean forward. And we do so, we do so with the awareness that God is faithful to his promises because God says, I will be with you. And that means that even, you know, kind of acknowledging what's happened, I want, I, I'm at this moment now, so I want to lean forward. I want to wrestle with, okay, so what, what does obedience look like for me now? Maybe certain things in my life have changed. Maybe it's not going to be exactly like it was. Just acknowledge that. Maybe there's even a sense of loss or frustration with that. Fair enough. But okay, but I need to lean forward. So what does it look right now? What does it look like for me to be obedient? What does it look like for me to pursue God right now? What does obedience look like? What does it look like for me to get to work, to keep moving forward, to lean forward in this moment? Maybe maybe they're just little things, little steps that I can take. And maybe they seem insignificant, but remember what God said to Zerubbabel, don't don't despise small things, because I can be at work in the small things as well. Now, we could stop here, but there's, there's there's one more thing I want you to see from the book of Haggai. It's how the book ends. The book ends with, with a statement about Zerubbabel. And in many ways, it's, it's actually a statement in which the author both <laughs> looks back and leans forward. To show you what I mean, here's how, here's how the book ends. It ends with, with a word directed towards Zerubbabel, where God says, I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, when you hear that phrase, signet ring, understand kind of the royal imagery, right? The, the signet ring was, the, among other things, was, was, was a ring used by a king. It was, a, it was that ring that was used in, in a seal to authenticate royal documents. And as I said, in using this imagery, this statement, in many ways, it leans back and it looks forward. It leans back in this regard. Remember, a moment ago, I told you that Zerubbabel is the grandson of Jehoiakim, one of the last kings of Israel. And in Jeremiah 22, there's really a prophecy of judgment against Jehoiakim. In fact, in Jeremiah 22, God says this If you, or he says to Jehoiakim, if you were a signet ring, I would pull you off my finger. It's a message of judgment in anticipation of the coming exile of Judah. And so in using this imagery, uh, in talking to Zerubbabel, you can't help but look back to think about that, that message of judgment. You can't help but look back and just acknowledge the, the reality of the exile and the discouragement and the, and the punishment that, that resulted from the people's disobedience. I mean, this, this statement causes you to look back and say, yeah, you know what, that's, that's what's happened. This is what we've gone through. But this statement doesn't simply invite us to look back. I think it also challenges us to lean forward. And it challenged Zerubbabel to lean forward for this reason. Because remember, God says, you're you're like my signet ring. But but in reality, Zerubbabel, (laughs) Zerubbabel was never king. I mean, even during this time, this region is still ultimately under the authority of the persian monarch so there's a sense in which calling Zer- zerubbabel my signet ring is actually in anticipation of something that will happen in the future i think it's looking to the ultimate king who will one day come in david's line it's looking to the coming of the messiah the statement is looking to the coming of jesus christ who will truly reign as God's king. Interestingly, when we get to the New Testament, right, centuries later, we're introduced to Jesus in Matthew chapter one. And guess who is included in the genealogy of Matthew chapter one? The name Zerubbabel. So even as this book closes, it's like God is looking at Zerubbabel and saying this. Okay. Zerubbabel, yeah, acknowledge, look back, acknowledge, (laughs) acknowledge the disappointment, acknowledge the frustration, acknowledge what's happened and the reality that things aren't going to be like they used to be. But Zerubbabel, even as you look back, I ultimately want you to start moving. I want you to lean forward because Zerubbabel, I'm going to be with you. And even the little things you do in rebuilding the temple, they're actually part of a much bigger story that is underway. And Zerubbabel, I want you to know, I'm going to be with you every step of your journey. So Zerubbabel, (laughs) lean back and look forward. Now, I think for us, particularly on this day and this week, This day when we remember Jesus coming into Jerusalem and this week when we remember Jesus slowly moving toward the cross, willingly and obediently moving toward the cross, on this day and this week, we especially need to understand that, you know what? We can look back. We can look back over the last year and acknowledge what we've gone through. But we can also ultimately lean forward we can move forward in hope and confidence because the events that we are celebrating this week remind us that God is faithful to his promises. They remind us that God has made it possible through the work of Christ for us to be with him and for him to be with us every step of the way. And so in light of that, let's take this message to heart. Let's look back and lean forward. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we uh, we come to the kind of the, the closing parts of the Old Testament. We see the people coming back in the land, and yet it, it turns out that it wasn't what they expected. It wasn't going to be what it used to be. And even as, as they have experienced it, uh, I think we've experienced those kinds of situations as well, those experiences that are disillusioning, disappointing, and kind of become demotivating. Maybe that's where we're at right now, even as we've gone through COVID. And particularly with that in mind, the the message of Haggai and these ancient prophets, I think, speaks directly to us. We We need to look back. We need to acknowledge that and understand it, but then we need to lean forward, taking steps of obedience, taking steps of hope, because even in this moment, you say, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Father, may we hold on to that promise, particularly now as we prepare to celebrate Easter, because it's through the work of Easter that these promises are ultimately fulfilled. So Father, may we take that to heart as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.